Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the first episode of Season 3 of the Roman's Empire Podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Guys, Season 3, three years in. I know me and Sam started this podcast at his apartment back when we were in college, and now he's on his way to becoming a lawyer, and uh, we're basically full-fledged adults, aren't we? And yeah, and not only that, we've also added a third member since then. The triumvirate, the big three. Oh, I'm, What's up, Andres? I'm, I'm just honored, guys. I finished one <laughs> season of Roman's Empire. Now I'm a full vet. Season two for me. I'm excited. And I think now the, we, start, we now started at such a... Sorry, go the expectations ahead. are a little bit higher on you now, Andres. Like, <laughs> now you had time to get used to it. Yeah. You, you got acclimated. The expectations are going up. Now we need exactly. to see some production. This was the trial run. I mean, yeah. Trial run. I was on loan. You guys signed me for yeah. a permanent deal. Let's yep. Kovacic stop. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but then also, I, I, I just wanted to say, like, I think we started at such an, a hilarious time because the past two seasons have been probably two of the most dramatic seasons as far as Chelsea goes, you know, just like yeah. not not great, not bad, but just like a mix of both in between. I just hope season three, it like, I don't know if I want it to be that exciting again or if I just want a good season, but, you know, it, 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 I think I think the controversy creates for good content, so I might be a little we'll, selfish we'll, and root for that. Well, we'll put it this way. I mean, we started this podcast on the heels of Conte coming in and winning the Premier League. Exactly. Right, so right after we, that. We didn't have we, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we didn't get a chance. We, we still haven't had a chance to talk about Chelsea as, a, like, a legitimate force in European hey, football. And, uh, what do you mean? Like We're European champions. European champions, yes. <laughs> we are a European champion. <laughs> one of them. There's only two, and we're one. Listen, I didn't even know Azerbaijan was in Europe until uh, that's true. Until Actually, I didn't what, know that either. Last season, so yeah. But um, anyways, guys, we are on the brink of signing one Frank Lampard as our manager. So I know it's not official yet, and and we're recording on Sunday, June the thirtieth, but. I want to talk about it anyways because it looks like it's pretty much done and dusted. Yeah, I mean, supposedly uh, Frank and the club are, are negotiating a three-year deal, and reportedly Jody Morris is report is uh, supposed to be coming along with him. You just can't mm -hmm. keep those two apart. Uh, so obviously it's not a done deal yet, but I kind of want to talk about it under the assumption that this is going to get done, like as if it's already happened. So at this very moment. Is this the right move? Andreas, what do you think? Uh, I think it's the only move uh, based on how we treated Sorry from the fans' perspective, from the club perspective. I think bringing in Frank Lampard is pretty much the only move you can make to please everyone, especially at such a tough time. Plus, it's going to be hard to recruit a top manager, someone with a strong CV when you can't make any transfers, a turnover, you lost your best player, etc. So, yeah, a, a guy that had to deal with a young, inexperienced team and accomplished all his targets coming into Chelsea, former legend, yeah, it's, it's the it's the only move in my book, even if it's rushed. I'm 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 kind of at the point now where I'm just past like the whole Frank's not ready, he doesn't have the experience, all this nonsense. And and I understand that. Like I understand a lot of the parallels that you know, Chelsea fans are bringing up, well, 
look what Man United did. They brought in Solskjaer, one of their legends, and you know things are kind of uh, going belly up over there at the moment. But I think it's a little bit different with Frank because I think we're at a pivotal moment, not only in the club's history, but in, in, in Roman's reign at the club, right? Like we've been known as a club that goes out, we spend big, we bring in top class managers and we win titles. Whereas now we're bringing in a guy like Frank Lampard. We have the transfer ban. So we know that we're probably not going to be able to sign players minus Kovacic, which we'll get to a little bit later. But I guess that means that the board is changing their focus a little bit, right? So maybe they are going to give Frank a little bit of time. And I think the big benefit with bringing in a guy like Frank as opposed to maybe keeping sorry or bringing in another project manager who would need time um, is that the fans aren't going to turn on him. Like I, I genuinely think that the fans will probably turn on the board before they turn on Frank Lampard. So that's always a positive for us. And, and, and obviously, you know, the big factor in signing Frank is that he's also going to bring Jody with him. And I know a lot of the youth players, um, a couple of them that are on expiring contracts even now we're considering leaving, are now looking and yep. saying, uh-oh, now Jody's coming in with Frank. They understand the club. They understand how precious the youth system is. Bringing a guy like Peter Check into the equation as well, I mean, their pathway is as open as ever. So that's extremely exciting for us. And the thing about this also is we don't know the status yet of the transfer ban, right? Like the the appellate the appeals board, whatever it's called, the court of appeals, uh, they arbitration, yeah, yeah arbitration. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah, um, law school. Sorry. Um, so yeah. <laughs> they, you know, th this decision hasn't been decided yet, obviously. So I, it would be nice to allow Frank one transfer window to bring in at least a couple of guys that he would want on his team rather than just trying to make it work right now and then, you know, eventually bring someone in later. But it wouldn't be the end of the world again. I think this is something that's been talked about a lot, but it gives the opportunity for our youth to play more. And bringing in Jody Morris, I, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. I mean, I, what do you guys I, I think? Actually, I actually think that the ban is going to work in Frank's favor. Um, Agreed. To be completely honest, because instead of him going out and purchasing two or three players, throwing them into the mix, guys that haven't played within the squad that aren't familiar with each other, that's a lot harder to do, especially as a new manager coming in and an experienced manager. Because like, let's not you know, let's not kid ourselves. He is relatively inexperienced, especially in the, at at the top level, but. Having a transfer ban will allow him to to utilize what he has and implement whatever system he wants to bring in. I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about four two three one. I'll be surprised if he plays another system. But honestly, at this point, I'm pretty much open to anything. Um, I, I trust Frank. You know, I'm, I'm willing to give him the keys and give him this year to just kind of figure things out. Then going into next year without a transfer ban, you know, he, he can say, okay, um, these are the holes in the squad that we need to fill. Here's a list of players that I want. And then he'll hand that list to the one and only Peter Check, right? So mm -hmm. that's the positive is that it'll give these guys who do who aren't experienced because Peter Check isn't experienced at, as a technical director either, right? So right. you know, it'll give them the chance to analyze a squad for a year, figure out what system they want to play, how they want to play, and uh and and then go after our targets next summer. I mean, Andres, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to paint a picture of why I think it's good for Lampard to not have the ability to purchase players. For example, we have an injured Callum Hudson-Odoi right now, 
if we could buy players, we would mostly be chasing someone like Nicolas Pepe or maybe Ziyech. Let's say we get one of those players. They come in and they start the season on fire. Then where does Callum Hudson-Odoi fit in the equation? Next thing we know, Bayern gets him for free. So it's not just a Callum Hudson-Odoi situation. Uh, Juan Castillo, one of the Chelsea uh, Academy players, he plays left back, left mid, and can even play out up in the wing. Uh, the comparison seemed to be kind of like a Marcelo-type player, a very offensive fullback. He's now considering staying at Chelsea and signing an extension because Frank, Jody, and Joe Edwards are all going to be part of this coaching staff. So yeah. it, it comes with the ability to – we are forcing the youth to have a pathway to the first team. And if we were going to have another transfer window, all these players would most likely feel what they've been feeling for the last couple of years where – Oh, well, you know, I, I won a couple of trophies here, but now I got to go somewhere else to play at the top level. So, so I, I kind of want to, I, I, I want to pose a question, right? So let's let's deviate from the X's and O's and actual on-field um, problems or issues that we have, and I, I want to talk about the impact Frank is going to have on the club culture in general, well, of because course. we've seemed to have. Uh, managers come in. I mean, sorry was basically a PR disaster. I think we could all agree on that. He had no affinity with the fans. He he. I don't he know if really he tried. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't establish. his thing. Yeah. See, like like that's the thing. I don't know if he. Tr- I don't know if he f- failed to establish a relationship or mm-hmm. if he just didn't give a shit. Yeah, exactly. He, he never he failed. That, that means he tried. He made the effort to try to do something, and he really did it. And I don't think he cares. That's that's just his personality, you know. Exactly. I mean, but... Yeah, the guy just signed a contract with Juventus after flipping them off. He literally yeah. gives zero crap about fans. He wants <laughs> yeah. to. He wants to play, coach football, mm-hmm. and see his football be played on the pitch. Everything else way... to him I mean, means that's... nothing. I, I don't. I don't disagree with that mentality. To be honest, like I, I feel like that's a very valid way to think about it because that, that's what he's there to do. That's his job. You know. I mean. Football is just it's it's changed because of you know the media and the, the reporters they want a good story and obviously the fans want to you know like their coach you know I mean the manager and they're you know, they're the ones that are paying money for tickets the the owner I'm sure wants him to you know appeal to the fans as well but you know his mm-hmm. job primarily is to be a manager and to and you know to do the X's and O's so I I don't know I, I don't I, mean, I think obviously it's it's preferred to have someone and I think to go back to your original question Frank is exactly that person for sure so you know to just to, to who who will probably make an effort and even if he doesn't make an effort it's just so natural for him to connect with the fans i mean they everyone loves him like I'm, going into the day one he is beloved you know what i mean like it's not yeah. like he has to earn it like everyone i mean like i said in. before i think i think we're gonna see sack the board signs before we see you know sack lampard signs like i i, I it's it's right i can't course. even imagine a situation where even if it does go belly up and we fall you know to 10th or 11th like the 14 15 season or, or 15 14 15 season right or 15 16 i forget <laughs> well, if you it's, think about it too like that might not it, it's it's not necessarily the best decision by the board to fire him because like you yeah. said, if if you know the season's going wrong, whose back is are the fans going to take? They're going to take Frank's. Yeah, so maybe every single it's, time. It's, it's their own destruction. <laughs> and we but, all know, you know that but... we know that bringing in Sari was Marina's idea. I mean, she was the one that, that that really pushed for that move to happen, and she did make it happen to her credit. And yes, Sari did come in and he won a trophy, but in terms of the actual fan base and the general mood within the fan base, I mean, I don't think. I've been a Chelsea fan for probably the better part of 15 years now, and 
I've never felt more disconnected from the club as I did last season. And I think bringing in a guy like Frank sort of kills two birds with one stone. One, it'll weather the storm during this period where we can't sign players. It'll it'll create a pathway for the youth, which we already talked about. But two, I think it'll unify the fans a bit. I think that... God, I hope so. You, you would be very mm-hmm. hard-pressed to go on social media and find a fan that's completely against bringing in Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, besides those people that are thinking that, you know, we were going to bring in... Uh, a world-class manager, which is, which let's be honest, was never ever going to yeah. happen the second we sacked. Sorry, it, it's a very, it's a very difficult job to go into. Looking at it, if you're a world-class manager looking for a job, and and you're looking at Chelsea, you really don't want to come here because you know that you're you're probably not going to buy a house out here because you're going to be out within 18 months. That's a that's a great point, Zach. Because I myself was going back and forth between sorry in, sorry out, and really. Like you said, it's split up. It's split up the fan base into sorry in and sorry out. But we're probably not going to get that with Lampard, at least for the first season. He, he'll he'll get a full season no matter what. But uh, I mean, at least I hope I can't really, I can't put too much faith in uh, the Chelsea fan base for not turning on our manager immediately. But uh, you know, I think we, for the most part, you know, we got love for him, so we'll give him a chance. But you know, it's something you mentioned earlier. Another player that. Chelsea fans got a lot of love for Peter Cech. Apparently he, well, this one is actually confirmed. He returned, he's returning as the technical performance advisor. Okay. So I'm not really sure what this title means or even like how it'll impact the way our board is structured. Uh, Zach, do you, do you know what really, what does this mean? What is a technical performance advisor? Well, the, the club did release a statement um, on the website, and it said, quote, the focus of the job will be to provide advice on all football and performance matters throughout the club, as well as embed and facilitate strong links between our men's and academy teams, ensuring that the various support departments are working together effectively. So basically what I'm getting from this is that the club knows that he's relatively inexperienced at the role. And it's not unusual. And before everybody, you know, jumps on top of me and and says, well, why isn't he just the the technical director like Emanalo was? Just to give you a little bit of background, in football, it's very common for clubs to to eliminate certain titles and positions and create new ones for different people and different personnel that come into the club. And I think that's exactly what we're doing with Peter Cech. I think if we made him the outright technical director, it would have been a disaster because he doesn't have any experience. And I I, I know that it's going to sound controversial, but it is what it is. You know, you're bringing in a guy that doesn't have experience at this role. So I think giving him this title is basically giving him the keys for develop for developing the squad, developing the youth system, creating that pathway, and sort of mending the relationship between the coaching staff and the board, which has been the core of our issues um, since Jose came back the second time around, arguably before that. Um, but I think eventually he's gonna uh, he, he's gonna obtain more and more responsibility, um, especially as the years go on, and depending on the performance of the uh, uh, performance of the first team and the academy as well. Let's not forget that a huge role of the technical director is to to facilitate the scouting and 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 uh, develop the youth system, which Chelsea have been so so good at in the in the last ten years or so. So, Andres, I mean, what what do you think about this? Are you 
are you excited about the prospect of Peter Check coming in? And like, what kind of impact are you expecting him to have right off the bat? What kind of impact should we look forward to long term? So for one, I I like the fact that it's Peter Check because there'll be some synergy between Frank and Peter Check as to what they're looking for, and it'll be a unified voice then speaking to the board. I still don't trust the board in in terms of finally getting this the business done, but at least it'll be a compiled list between head coach and Peter Check's role as this advisor. I also think that Peter Check coming in at a time where we can't make signings is perfect because he gets to see what we have and has a full season to plan out next summer because our our case isn't being heard immediately, so it's not going to happen this summer. And I really doubt it'll only get, you know, one, you know, I doubt we'll get the, the winter window. So Peter Check gets to essentially analyze the squad for six months. The winter window happens, and then he can start already targeting things for the summer. So I think that's huge for a guy that's stepping into a brand new role, coming off from player straight to corporate, essentially. And again, him working alongside Frank and, and seeing what we need, what we have already, I, I think it's it's a good time to make this sort of addition to the to the board. And I also think that this kind of indicates our board or just the club in general is willing to be patient uh, just because, you know, obviously with, you know, they're, they're not going to throw Peter in immediately and have him be, you know, our main technical director or whatever. They're going to ease him into it. And they know that this next year is just, again, going to be just like for Andreas, a trial run. We'll see what, you know, how it goes. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, not it's, it's, we're hoping that Frank Lampard, I mean, go to this go is going back to Frank Lampard, but we're hoping that what happens with him is like the same thing that happened to Zidane in Real Madrid. You know, really, we did it. No one knew how good of a manager he would be, but just because he was a brilliant footballer and he just you know meant so much for that club, they hoped that it would work out. And you know, he won how many Champions Leagues, and now he's back. Uh, but you know, that that's what I think. That's what the hope is. But, um, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think this is showing that they're a little bit more willing to be patient? I, I, I think I think that's exactly what it is. It, it's extremely risky from the board's point of view to not only sack a manager and hire a new one, um, but to also bring in a technical director or someone that has the same role as a technical director like Peter Cech. Um I think it's a shift of strategy for sure. You know, there's no way that they can have heightened expectations for this squad. I think if we finish top four, that would be an absolutely incredible season uh, by yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, no matter which way you put it. If we finish top six, I think that'll still be considered uh, a successful season. Um, but, you know, I, I think the main thing here is that the board aren't expecting us to go out um, and, and light the Premier League on fire right away. They're not expecting us to go out and make a Champions League push. They're probably not even expecting us to make a title push within the Premier League. I think um, our target should be top four. Um, top six would be welcome, honestly, in my opinion. But I also think making a decent cup run um, is something that's not too far out of reach, especially considering what Frank was able to do in the FA Cup with Derby. Um, of, of course, they had the upset... Um, where they beat Man United at Old Trafford. And they gave us a run for our money at the bridge, where they actually played pretty damn well against us. 
Frank seems to have this ability to galvanize a squad. And I think players, especially young English players, everybody looks up to him. Um, if you're English, Lampard's a legend. And uh, I think that's definitely going to work to our advantage. And fortunately for us, most of our English players are younger and they, and they come from the youth system or they have been through the youth system. So there has to be a certain level of expectation, of course, with a, with, with a club Chelsea size. But I definitely don't think that the board is uh, setting their sights on winning a trophy anytime soon, um, which I think is a good thing to sort of take a step back and and rebuild from the ground up because, listen, there's no way we're going to be able to compete with Man City and Liverpool f- for the foreseeable future. There, There's just no way. I mean, those squads are already world-class, as is, and they're adding pieces to to build on the successes that they've already enjoyed so far. So I think that this is sort of their era quote unquote but um chelsea's will come eventually so you know let's see what happens but yeah there, there's definitely a shift here i mean andres what do you think it, it, has there been a shift do you feel like the club is genuinely not necessarily handing the keys over to to frank lampard but saying here take your time do your thing and, and then we'll uh, we'll take it season by season yeah i, I think this is going to be a time of investment is the best way i can put put it you have a young manager in frank lampard a young technical potential technical director and Peter Check. You're bringing in your two, your last two youth managers to to help you figure out who has that actual potential to make it to the next level. Um, we're going to be counting on a lot of young players. I think this is it's going to be similar. The way I think of it is when Klopp first took over at Liverpool. He had a, a couple. I think his first season was fifth place, then he dropped to seventh place, then he was back up, but slowly and and steadily you could tell that they were improving and four years later look where they are now and i think that's what chelsea's probably trying to mirror in their own way you weren't able to get a established manager manager yet but you have someone who's shown promise who multiple football minds have said that this guy's going to be a fantastic manager and yeah this the only way that I see them blowing this project up is if Frank leads Chelsea to relegation. That That's literally the only way you don't have wow. Frank Lampard have multiple seasons <laughs> at Chelsea. Is that possible? I mean, just, is, that for, is that even like within the realm of possibility? I, I, I don't think so. No way, I, huh? I genuinely don't think don't so. Think let's, so. Okay, so but let's say, obviously, okay, so the, the club is going to be patient. How about the fans? I said it earlier. I said, you know, at least one year. That's the the fans will give them that no matter what. And then after that, I have no idea. I I I I'm willing to stick with them. But you've seen how quickly we turn on Sari and you know Rafa, AVB, Mourinho to an extent. I mean, how will Chelsea fans will we will we ever push him out? Andreas, what do you think? Or yeah. Oh man, I mean, I I honestly think, like I said, it's gonna have to be a death con like awful situation here chelsea is 19th place with three matches to go that is the only way i see it happening i think the fans will for sure be a lot more patient with frank being frank being english being someone that's been at chelsea before they'll want him to have at least one full summer transfer window before not just being at chelsea before too it's just being a chelsea legend right yeah more than Uh, that the guy was second place in the Ballon d'Or to Messi. Like, 
he would have won if an extraterrestrial guy wasn't playing football here. So mm-hmm. the fact yeah. is that this guy is on the pinnacle of just football history. I really can't see it going badly. I mean, even Zidane, who won his third season, yes, he won the Champions League, but domestically he wasn't great. He walked away. He wasn't fired. So I think it's going to be something similar like that. Obviously, you're comparing you know, apples to oranges because Madrid's squad was already completed and, and Lampard right. is, is building his own thing. But I, I really think that the only situation the fans will turn on him is if Chelsea is in the relegation zone. That literally is it. I mean, I think a lot of the frustration last year stemmed from the fact that it, there was a lot of... It was basically all talk and no bite from Sorry, right? Like, especially when it came to the on-field product. Pass, 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 pass. No final ball whatsoever. And I, I think the difference with Frank is, and you look at the way he coached at Derby side. I mean, they played with a high press and they played attacking football. They went for the jugular every single match, no matter what opponent they were facing. I mean, you look at the way they played against Manchester United. That's exactly what they did. Yeah, maybe it might have been a, a bit of a smash and grab, but you're comparing a championship side to a, a, a genuine Premier League side. And when they played against us, they did much of the same thing. I mean, I remember that first half against Derby. They made our lives pretty difficult, and, and, and they put us on our heels a few times. So I think the brand of football is the important thing here that a lot of people are, are sort of understating. You know, sorry, sorry killed – sorry basically took the fun out of the game, right? And, and, and you hear that a lot within the fan base. It was a lot of passing. There was no movement uh, off the ball. It, everything was rigid. The players were told what to do and not able to express themselves. And you look at Lampard and the type of player he was, he was able to express himself. You know, a goal-scoring midfielder, a creative midfielder, someone that could run with the ball, someone that could create someone that could create on the ball or off the ball, finish off plays, start plays. I think Frank is going to emulate a lot of uh, the way or, – or Frank is going to – establish a system and a style of play at Chelsea similar to the ones that uh, similar to the way that he played you know he was an attacking footballer he's an attacking mind and 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 I think that's the important thing here I think the football is going to be fun yes it might be cringeworthy at times we are going to have defensive lapses we're probably going to have those matches where we get played off the park you know we're going to have growing pains but I think at the end of the day what Frank is trying to do seems that it's a lot more convincing than what Sari was trying to do because it's something that's actually attainable at the club with the personnel we have, especially. I mean, you look at the likes of like Mason Mount, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Callum Hudson-Odoi. I mean, those are all flair players. Frank's going to basically tell them in certain areas of the pitch, express yourself. He's not going to give them rigid directions. You have to make this run. You have to make that run. Like one thing that bothered me about Sari, especially now that he's at Juve, I mean, he was talking about having a player like like Hazard, a player of that quality, and how it could sort of ruin the chemistry of a team, which I think is just sort of farcical in a sense because Hazard was responsible for, what, 30% of our goals last year. So, you know, um, bringing in a guy like Frank will allow those players to express themselves. And I think the players are going to be up for it. I mean, you tell a guy like Ruben Loftus-Cheek with all the talent in the world, in the final third, go ahead and do you. He's probably going to flourish. You say the same thing about Callum Hudson-Odoi or Mason Mount, even maybe even Tammy Abraham to a certain extent, or Michi Batshuayi. So, I mean, Andres, what what do you think? uh, uh, What do you think about the playing style that he's going to sort of implement at Chelsea? Is that something you look forward to, or or what are you expecting? No, I definitely do. So you were talking about Sarri being extremely instructional in his way of play. Uh, There was a documentary I watched 
Oh, man, it's a couple of years back of that Barcelona team that had uh, Thierry Henry, Messi, and Zlatan at the same time. And they were talking about how that was back in the prime of tiki-taka, Barcelona, fluid football and whatnot. And while, yes, they had all these instructions to pass and how to build up play, Thierry Henry said that once the ball made it to those front three players, they had full freedom to do whatever the hell they wanted. Mm-hmm. And, and you could tell because that's chaos and that's the one thing that defenses hate to see it's you have no idea what to expect so i think that that's a little bit of what we will see from frank i think that you know we're not going to try to pass our way into the box every single time i think we'll see a lot more crosses maybe some cutbacks uh depending on who our starting for i i think it just depends on the personnel on the pitch which is going to be totally different than what we saw from sorry so yeah. in a match where Giroud is playing we might see a lot more crosses early on or versus a match where Mishi, if he's back we'll see a lot more through balls so mm-hmm. that's kind of what i'm hoping for and what i expect from frank is that he's going to be a lot more about okay these are the principles of what i want to see but we're playing a team that has the two shortest center backs in the league. Therefore, we need to pump in those crosses to Tammy and Giroud. Like, things like that. Not just, hey, this is my football, and if you play it right, you're going to figure everything out. Yeah, and I, 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 sorry, I personally – sorry, sorry um, I, I just – I personally don't think the growing pains are are going to be um, that bad per se. I mean, let me just explain myself. Frank played in the Premier League. He retired relatively recently, so he's sort of – he retired right about the time where football, especially in the Premier League, was changing. You know, a lot of teams are playing this attacking, fluid style of football. I mean, you look at teams like uh, uh, Man City, Liverpool, Tottenham to a certain extent. You even go further down the line. You look at what Everton's trying to do. They're trying to build an attacking footballing side. Bournemouth to a certain extent. Wolves. Um, and, and I think Frank has that ability and he has that experience to know what each team is going to offer. He's played against a lot of players that are still in the Premier League. And I think he's going to use that to our advantage. I mean, he's played in every system. He's played in 4-2-3-1s. He's played in 4-3-3s. Uh, he's played in 4-4-2s. And I think he's going to give us different variations of those depending on the personnel. I said last podcast that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, a 4-4-2 this year. I think that'll work to our advantage, especially you know with a target man like Giroud, and you got a striker with a decent amount of pace and an eye for goal like Tammy Abraham, or or maybe even Michi Batshuayi playing off of him. I think that could work to our advantage, and I don't think that's something Frank Lampard is going to look at and be like, nope, I play this system. I'm not going to play with two strikers. I think he's going to adapt. I think he's going to throw on another striker if we're down by a goal with 10 minutes left. I don't think he's going to throw on Zapacosa when we're down against Man United in an FA Cup. <laughs> you know, like that's the thing. That's what's giving me hope is that he's going to know when to go for it and he's going to know when to sit back and absorb. And I think he's going to adapt like that. And I guess that's the advantage of not having a systematic man or a philosophical manager, but having a manager that's willing to switch things up on the fly and, and, and put uh, X's and O's together instead of square pegs and round holes. I wanted to get into one last piece of news before we head into the transfers. So, unfortunately, Reese James is going to be out for two to three months. He uh, injured his ankle ligaments while on England's U-20 duty. So, reportedly, again, he's out for two to three months. Uh, Will not require surgery. So, what I want to know is how much do you guys think this will impact him fitting into the squad moving into next year? Zach, I'll start off with you. What do you think? I mean, it's no secret that he's the academy player, academy 
product slash graduate that all Chelsea fans are looking forward to seeing most this season, um, especially in the first team. Yeah, the injury is bad. I mean, I, that kind of thing happens. Um, it's fortunately for him, like you said, he doesn't have to get surgery. Um, but, you know, he got injured mid-June. So, you know, that gives him, what, maybe mid-September, early October to come back. I don't think that's too long of a layoff. Um, and, and I don't think he's not going to be proactive in that time. Again, this is a guy that's unproven, right? At this level, at least. So, you know, he, he's going to focus. He's going to put his head down. He's going to work on the tactical side of the game. He's going to work on getting stronger and fitter. And I think he'll come back and, and, and he will play a solid role for us this season. I'm not too worried about this injury in general. I know when the news first broke, uh, I got the update on my phone saying he was stretchered off for an apparent ankle injury. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, shit, he broke his ankle. You know, I mean, look at our luck this season with Callum Hudson-Odoi and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Those are two, our two brightest academy products getting injured. And now here's another one that could possibly have a long layoff. But two or three months isn't bad. I think he'll bounce yeah, it's back. it's much better and... than expected than it could have exactly. been. Exactly. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing him come back. I don't think it's going to impact his his place in the squad whatsoever. Um, I just don't think Zappacosa is good enough for one. And two, Jody has worked with Reese James before, so he's going to know what he has to offer. So... In the sense that Reese James has to prove himself as much as, let's say, like a new transfer that comes in, he doesn't have as much work to do, which is going to work to his advantage. But Andres, I'm curious to see what you think about this. Is is this something that you're worried about? It's it's not. If anything, I think this is actually going to calm down fans who think that Reese James was going to walk in and be the starter from day one. Yeah. Let's be completely real. Whatever system, however we play, Frank is going to start with Aspie at right back at the beginning of the season. And it's going to take a while for Reese James to displace him. It, yeah. it really is. So I think that this injury will give Reese James the ability to work his way into the team without hearing all these this buzz around because these younger players are super involved in social media. You see it all over Twitter now, them responding to people and giving them video shout outs and stuff. So if this will kind of quiet people from being, oh, we need Reese James now, and it's more like, oh, he just got done with an injury. Let's kind of work him in. That can only help a young player grow into the role of a Premier League starting side. So I think that this can only kind of help, kind of how whenever Cho first started and then everyone kind of freaked out in that Liverpool game where he didn't kind of have a 10 out of 10. It's the same thing. This, this guy is 19, 20 years old. He's going to have his growing pains. So now that he's not going to be there available from the beginning, people will be like, okay, we need to ease him in. He just came off this injury. He's going to be the guy for the future. Like, just calm down, have realistic expectations of a 20-year-old. I still think he'll be great. And maybe by, I don't know, April, he'll actually be the starter. But, Again, I think this will kind of let him ease in, figure out what Frank's wanting to do with the team, and then he can kind of hit the ground running when he's back from injury. I mean, I'll go a step ahead of that. I mean, Aspie's, what, 29 years old? So you're assuming that he has at least two or three more years of high-level football left in him? And l let's not kid ourselves. He's still our best right back. He's probably still the most underrated right back in the Premier League, even though he's been in the Premier League for how long now, which is just absolutely crazy since 2013 yeah i mean he might be one of the most underappreciated uh players in this premier league era so you know it, it, it's not it, it he was never going to start from the get-go like andres said so you know it, it, this will take a little bit of pressure off of him i completely agree with you 
All right, so let's get into the transfer news. So this this first this first report, I got to give a round of applause to my friend Andreas. Congratulations, your Mateo Kovacic jersey will not go to waste. Mateo Kovacic yeah, officially you, signs you. permanently. You're welcome. That's that's this great news for you. So uh, he's gonna it's it is going to be a forty point three million pound deal. Uh, we explained this earlier, but he was one of the players that we were able to sign. Uh, it's be, regardless of the ban, just because he was already registered by being on loan with us uh, last year. So now, con- considering the formation shift that's going on um, and that's going to happen with bringing in Frank, plus our lack of depth in the midfield due to the RLC ger- injury, do you guys feel this was more of a good business type of deal or a necessary business type of deal? Uh, Andreas, please, please, this is your guy. I would love to hear what you have to say. <laughs> All good, right, biz- so good I... business because you don't have to buy a new jersey, right? Oh, it's great <laughs> business. I'm saving myself. Our... <laughs> embarrassment. My girlfriend Sarah saved herself the embarrassment of sp- spending the money for a jersey that would never get used again. But <laughs> here's what I have to say. We have, again, very inexperienced team. By signing Mateo Kovacic on a permanent, we can then sell him. So we've been pretty good about doing business in that way where we've signed players and then sell them for, for profit. If there's anything we're good at is selling players for money. So for people saying, oh, well, he's just going to impede players and their growth, eh, we don't know that. Again, we're starting this season with a lot of injury. Just like Reese James, Mason Mount is not starting from day one. Um, and just I want to sh- throw some numbers at people here. Yes, I have numbers prepared to defend my boy, Mateo. Among the top six players, aside from scoring, take this aside. If we play a 4-2-3-1 and he's in a double pivot, here's some numbers that will probably shine a light on you guys. So per 90, successful dribbles, 2.17 per 90. That is the highest out of any midfielder in the top six. Tackles, 2.32 per 90. That's third amongst the top six. Final passes, final third passes, 23.43, third amongst the top six. Ground duels one, 6.19, first in the top six. These are great numbers for a guy playing as essentially a six next to another very strong six in Conte that could only help a, like I mentioned earlier, chaotic, young, energetic front, essentially four, who's going to be running around trying to wreak havoc. So signing Mateo Kovacic for let's say one, two seasons while we kind of figure out what we want to do with the side is good business. 40 million in this market is not blowing money out of the water when, who was it that just signed for 50 million? Militao from Porto to Real Madrid, an unproven 20-year-old defender, 55 million. What about about Juan Bissaka? Yeah, Juan Bissaka, one season, fantastic season, 55 plus also to, to United. So, yes, we know that Mateo Kovacic has a, a very distinct lack of goal-scoring ability, but if we use him correctly, he can bring a lot to this side. And for the price that we got him for, I still think it's good business. Was it also necessary because of injuries? Sure, but I still think it's good business because at the end of the day, we this guy's hungry to prove himself, and we can still turn this around for profit a year or two later. I mean, he's 24 years old, guys, right? So, like, this completely falls in line with our transfer strategy as of late. Sign young players, keep them for a few years, and then we eventually turn them into a profit. Look, if we we sign Kovacic permanently, he plays this season. Let's say he has a similar season to last season where 
you know, based on the eye test, he doesn't necessarily impress. He doesn't turn too many heads. We could always turn around and probably recoup our money for him. I think 40, a lot of people said 40 million is expensive for a player of his type. But in this market, looking at what else is going for 40 million, I actually think Kovacic might even be a bargain. <laughs> you, it, it, you don't have to look far. Actually, you could probably look within our own squad. Danny Drinkwater costs the same price as Mateo Kovacic. And I would probably take Mateo Kovacic 11 times out of 10 over Danny Drinkwater. <laughs> the, the thing I like about this is that last season we didn't really get to see the best out of him because he wasn't playing in his natural position. Sorry was asking him to be a creative outlet in the for attacking second, third. For a second, I thought you meant we didn't get to see the best of uh, Danny Drinkwater, and that's because oh. we didn't see any of him. <laughs> we saw uh, the best of his social media game. That's oh, yeah. it. Yeah, He's still yeah. my favorite player. Well, well, we know that he could. We know I mean, that. I mean, the most likely drink. I'd like, I'd love to hang out with. That's what I mean by a favorite. Yeah. You know? Oh, hundred percent. Kick it with. But uh, no, I, I, I think Mateo Kovacic. I think this is a good signing because you know last season he was played out of position, and like you guys alluded to, if we do play a double pivot, he will complement Conte really well because he has that ability to track back, to tackle. He's not afraid to get physical with defenders, but he's completely press resistant. He could spin a defender and beat two or three guys and break into the attacking third. Or he could pick out a pass, which I think is extremely valuable, especially if you're going to play that double pivot position. More more often than not, he's going to be playing from a deeper role and dictating play. And play doesn't slow down when it goes through him. I think that's the key thing here. A lot of what he does is one and two touches, which is brilliant. But something we haven't talked about is how this will impact Jorginho, right? Um, a lot of rumors about Jorginho wanting to leave and whatnot – I mean, you look at his social media, the guy's on holiday. I don't think he's thinking about football right now, to be completely honest. He's been put through the ringer this past season. But bringing in a guy like Kovacic, where when you look down our squad, the only other players that could really play in that double pivot role is probably Danny Drinkwater, besides, you know, Kovacic, if you're if you're looking at it from Jorginho's perspective. That creates a little bit of uh, competition within the squad, because now instead of those three midfield spots, um, you're looking at two. And I think that'll not only raise Jorginho's game, but I think it'll raise Kovacic's game also, and we'll be able to see the best out of him. I mean, the guy has an extremely high ceiling. Apparently, there were still some suitors in Europe that were interested in him, and he's 24 years old, guys. I mean, he's clearly a a, a decent footballer. So good business on our part. It's good business, and to answer Sam's question, it's necessary business. We need that squad depth desperately. So the next little piece of news, Torino exercised their 11 million uh, pound option to purchase Ola Aina on a per on a permanent deal. So he spent last season with them as a regular starter, and he also played a role in the World Cup last year. Uh, he started for Nigeria, and he's on the uh, AF Con squad. Um, so <laughs> who got the better deal, and could we have used them? Andreas, I'll start off with you. Torino got the better deal on it. They got 50% off, at least, for Ola Aina. After the season he had, we could have easily turned him around for 25 mil, I'd say. is pretty fair option there. In terms of could we have used him, I mean, because of the ban, we might not sell Alonso, even though there's been links to Madrid, Atletico Madrid being interested. But, yeah, he can play on both the right side and the left side, so that's great flexibility. With Reese James's injury, that would have been a great option to have. But, you know, I, I really don't see, because of his loans to Torino, I, I didn't see him coming back as much as I would have liked him to. 
not because I didn't think he was good enough, because, but more because the club obviously didn't see it. So uh, I'm really happy for him to get a, uh, some consistency in his game. He was pretty happy at Torino, but yeah, Torino got the better end of the deal by far. Yeah, completely agreed, Andres. I think I think if you're looking at a guy um, who's proven himself in one of the top leagues in Europe, like Olaina did this past season, um, 11 million is a steal. I mean, I, if I'm Torino, I'm smiling ear to ear at that deal because you basically picked up a guaranteed starter every single week for less than 15 million. Um, I think I think realistically, if we didn't establish that buyout clause, I could see him going for 20 to 25 minimum. Um, so from their perspective, great, de- great deal. Um, I don't think he would have had a place on our squad, even if we did keep him this year. I just think, you know, the, the club uh, mindset seems pretty dead set on Reese James um, as that starter. And if you're going to compare him, um, I think Reese James's ceiling is much, much higher than Ola Aina. Not saying that, you know, Ola Aina can't become uh, uh, a global force uh, at the right back or left back position. He was playing a lot of left back last year, but... Yeah, um, the fact that Reese James came back, we still have Aspi, we still have Zappacosta on the books, so let's not forget about that. I think we had to sell him, um, and I think this is actually one of the first pieces of business that we did in terms of selling where we didn't get the better end of the deal. Oh, also, just to talk numbers here, we bought Zappacosta for 20-plus, and Olina came in for free to replace Zappacosta on loan initially, and then they only had to pay half that. the price, so... Yeah. Yeah, Torino definitely got the way better end of the deal. They upgraded, got a younger player for half the price of what they sold the other player for, so they're still profiting. So good on them. He's going to play European football this year too now that uh, AC Milan got that European yeah. ban. So oh, yeah. um, good for him. You know, He'll get some experience under his belt. I'm rooting for him, man. I always kind of liked him as a player. I remember seeing him play. Som, we were actually at that game, Chelsea-Liverpool at the Rose Bowl. Mm. And I remember he got a run out in the second half of that game and thinking to myself, man, I mean, this guy has the right physicality. He has a little bit of pace. Technically, he's pretty gifted. I wouldn't mind seeing him get in the squad. And unfortunately, things just didn't work out that way. But he's one of those players that I'm definitely going to keep my eye on. I remember the last youth player that I kept my eye on after he left Chelsea was uh, Traore, Bertrand Traore. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because he's pretty much the reason why we have a transfer ban. He's one of those 29 cases that we violated. But... Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him succeed. You know, I think he's a great player. Well, going on to another left back, you know, you were just saying that Ola Aina probably wouldn't have even gotten a spot on our on our team, so it wouldn't really have mattered. But Jay De Silva, another player, um, he, he he's sent to, <laughs> sent to, but uh, transferred to Bristol City on a permanent deal. Uh, a lot of fans actually wanted to see him have a chance on the first team, so... I mean, was this something that was really feasible? I know we talked about Olaina and Zach. You you specifically said he wasn't even get a, really going to get a chance anyway to play. What do yeah. you think about Jada Silva? Did he have an opportunity? I think Jada Silva was a pipe dream, um, to be completely honest. Um, uh, uh, like you said, a lot of Chelsea fans really wanted to see him get a run out in the squad just because they see his name a lot mentioned. Um, but look, I mean, you look at the guy. He's He's obviously not very big. He definitely has a skill to succeed at a high level, um, but I don't think that he would have had a chance making the Chelsea squad this year, um, especially with Juan Castillo being, you know, that that young up and coming left back slash left winger from the youth academy. Um, but just something to be said about the deal in general. It is kind of underwhelming from Jay De Silva's perspective. I think he would have benefited a lot more moving to maybe Germany. 
um, where a lot of other young English homegrown talent has gone to and flourished, um, as opposed to staying in a championship and sort of limiting himself in terms of the actual football being played. I think he could have gone to Germany, played at a higher level. Maybe he wouldn't be starting week in and week out, but he'd be training with better players. He'd be playing in a better league. And, uh, and and he would be able to fulfill his potential even more. Yeah, I, on my end, I I also don't think this was ever going to happen. Much like Olaina, I don't know why Chelsea never tried to keep him around. Uh, Jada Silva has been a pr- pretty much a, a penciled-in name in the under-23 and under-21 sides for England ever since he could qualify for it. He obviously was a starter when he was under in the Chelsea Academy. He has plenty of playing time in big games, but yeah, something something obviously hasn't clicked to where he's been brought to that level of Cho hype or RLC hype. I think our lack of talented left backs is more of the reason why his name keeps popping up more so than his talent itself. Yeah. And in, in terms of him staying, I think I know for a fact that when he got to Bristol City. The manager didn't even want to really deal with him, and he kind of forced his way to that starting 11. So I think he wants to maybe get a full season as a starter uh, with Bristol City before making a next move. I really don't mm-hmm. see him sticking around there very long. And, you know, maybe maybe he can prove that size doesn't really matter in, on the pitch, uh, but he is a very tiny guy. Uh, if Ash, if you thought Ashley Cole was small, this guy was sm- is smaller. So yeah. It's it's a tough one, and every athlete's getting bigger, faster, stronger, and we already lack a lot of height on this team. I just mm. I I just never saw this one happening, at least in the now. All right, so let's wrap this show up with uh, a final note. Let's talk a little bit about the American boy wonder, Christian Pulisic, Captain and, uh, America, baby, Captain America, and in a Gold Cup update, captaining the U.S. national team in the Gold Cup. Today, as we're recording on Sunday, the USA beat Curacao uh, a 1-0, which means that uh, we're moving on, right? So, you got an assist. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, yeah. Beautiful and, and assist. That goal, yeah, exactly. So beautiful. in three appearances, one goal and three assists. Um, I mean, and, and the, I think in one of the games he had all the goals and assists, so he was, he was killing it. Um, he's been deployed as a number 10 in a 4-1-4-1 thus far. So what what do we see from him in this tournament and how can inf- how can that influence on how he gets on at Chelsea? Zach, what do you think? Well, I just want to put it on record and say that Burhalter reminds me of Maurizio Sarri and the way he coaches. And if you're not an American soccer fan and you're listening to this part, I'm really sorry, but we're going to talk about the American soccer side. So um, the match today was absolutely awful to watch. And really the only player that sort of came out to play today was Pulisic. Um, but but going back to Burhalter, the U.S. men's national team coach, he said before the tournament started that um, he wasn't necessarily looking forward or, or he wasn't looking forward to Pulisic's uh, attacking side of the game as much as he was looking forward to his defensive side of the game. And he mentioned how great his work rate is and how he's willing to track back and he's willing to work off the ball and that he could also finish a full 90 minutes um, unlike a lot of other wingers in the modern game. I mean, wingers in the modern game aren't really uh, uh, noted as players that will, are willing to track their runners and, and willing to track back defensively and, 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 and basically do the hard yards, which Pulisic definitely likes to do. 
Um, for any fan that's listening that's not American, the best way I could put it is that he has a very similar work rate to Pedro. He's very He likes to scamper in and around the field. He nips at your ankles. He's constantly at your back. He presses the back line. He presses the goalkeepers every single time. Um, and, and he's a great first line of defense. So I think as, as Chelsea fans, that's something that we should look forward to is that you know, now that we sort of moved Hazard on, um, it's going to be a team effort to defend now again. I think all 11 players are going to have to be willing to put in a hard yard, especially in, uh, based on what we saw and, and how Frank Lampard deployed his Derby County squads last year. I think Pulisic will fit in seamlessly. I'm really, really excited to watch him, man. I mean, if you if you have a chance to watch him play in the Gold Cup, I definitely recommend it. He's playing like he has a point to prove, beating defenders. Um, he's pretty strong for his size. He's such a silky touch, a great uh, a, a great passer. And something you mentioned, Sam, he's playing the number 10 in a midfield three which is very, very interesting moving forward. You know, maybe if we're chasing a game or if we want to expose a team that doesn't have a lot of pace at the back, maybe deploying him as a number 10 might be an option for Frank. Just gives him something else to think about. So, yeah, I mean, so far so good. He only beat Curacao 1-0, which is kind of embarrassing. But, you know, let's see what happens with the U.S. And let's see what happens with Pulisic at Chelsea. I already have – I'm already going to order my jersey the second he announces what number he's going to wear. That's basically yeah. all I'm waiting hey, for. But, but you know what? Like I'll take the like the 1-0 one, one win against Curacao because, I mean, if you look at the – what is it? The um, South American Cup? What is it called again? Oh, the, the Copa America. Copa America, yeah. yeah. Peru, just a couple of games ago, gets slaughtered by Brazil 5-0, and now they just beat Uruguay and are heading to the semifinals like – that's Shout a... out to Venezuela, by the way. Oh, solid, yeah. solid outing. Oh, America. Run. Very oh, yeah. good run. The 2-0 scoreline against Argentina was a little deceiving. It was a lot closer than that. Yeah, just it was. Could, just couldn't really get a goal. I think that – I can't remember the keeper's name. He had some fantastic saves when it was when it was still one nothing. So I'm just kind of bummed out that we didn't get to see a Joseph Martinez-Solomon Rondon front two. Yeah, I – I still don't know. I think we played very scared a lot. I know we had to. I mean, we, we skated by Peru and, and Brazil, but Joseph got to play a lot more against Bolivia. But unfortunately, the draws we got were against – I mean, it's just – don't even get me started with the combo bowl. <laughs> I was talking with our, our boy Bone Daddy Deluxe on Twitter about it. We're the ninth best team in a 10-team conference – in the Coma Bowl, but we're the ranked the 25th best team in the world by FIFA. <laughs> just that, that just says it all. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. I mean, so how excited are you that, that, I mean, bringing it all kind of back around to Pulisic. I mean, how excited are you to see him jump into this Chelsea squad? Like, has it hit you yet? Because when I think about it, it still really hasn't hit me that he's a Chelsea player. I think the picture of him, the, uh, posted up at Stanford Bridge, you know, the one him wearing the jersey. That's when it really hit me for the first time. Like, damn, it's really official. And watching the Gold Cup has been so cool because he really, I mean, it's like you can you can bring someone who's never watched soccer before and you can say, ask them, all right, let me just try to tell me with, just by watching who the best player on the pitch is. And for sure, they'll be able to pick out Pulisic because yeah. he's been by far and every, I think in every match that they've played so far, he's been the best player. So that's really, really encouraging. 
but you know, again, I got I got to temper my expectations because, you know, it's just I, I I've I've been set up this this like like this so many times and I've been let down so, but it just it, it would be the it would be probably one of the greatest things for us if um if Pulisic ends up developing into being like a real star player that would be amazing he would be he would be my favorite player absolutely with like it's it's, it's without a doubt yeah oh. 100%. It'll be, too, that, be so easy to do that, you know? It wouldn't be easy because right now N'Golo Kante is my favorite player. <laughs> Arguably yeah, of all true. time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. If Pulisic needs to work on his smile if if, if, if he wants to compete with N'Golo Kante. <laughs> that smile is just, you know, that's game changer. Well, what's wrong with his smile, man? I, I'm just saying he can't compare it to N'Golo Kante's smile. Nothing wrong with Pulisic's. It's just N'Golo Kante's is just so adorable. That's why I love him so much. You know what I mean? Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's not a shot on Pulisic. He's got a great yeah. smile. Yeah, he, he does have a decent smile. But anyways, I mean, guys, that's season three, episode one of the Roman's Empire podcast. We did it. We got through it. Um, if you are still listening at this point, we are going to be putting out a lot of content over the summer. So keep your ears peeled. Um, I haven't been super active on Twitter, but I promise I will make that change and I will get better. Just had some personal stuff going on, but... Anyways, as big news comes out, look for more content. And uh, Sam, Andres, it's been a pleasure as always. I can't wait um, for our next episode when Kawhi Leonard will officially be a Clipper. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> had to end it uh, on that. Maybe maybe we'll have a Roman's Empire pod uh, free agency. Free agency NBA NBA special. Edition. Wow. We could bring yeah, on if, Woj. So, if, if, we get enough, if we get enough followers to – request that i might i'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of down yeah for sure <laughs> but anyways make sure you guys follow us on twitter at romans empire pod uh, you could also email us romans empire pod at gmail.com let us know your stories i want to hear how you guys became chelsea fans especially uh from the american perspective because i mean uh sam andres and i we've all shared our stories um about how we became chelsea fans what made us fall in love with the team i know we had ron hit us up and uh he talked about his experience uh flying uh, uh, uh while he was boarding a flight and watching the penalty shootout against uh, Eintracht Frankfurt last season we got we, we actually uh we we got a great laugh out of that i'm sure that the listeners loved it so if you guys have any insight or any stories you want to tell let us know and we'll definitely put it on the show we'll put it out there and uh yeah so thank you guys for listening uh make sure you follow us keep in touch and until next time keep the blue flag flying high